going to be in, we're going to, we've moved into 2 Kings and we're going to finish up Elijah and start Elisha. Um, and uh, this series is already two weeks longer than it was supposed to be. Um, and uh, there's no end in sight. Sorry, guys. Uh, but we are, we are, we're going to hopefully wrap this up in the next few weeks. But, um, but I want to invite you this morning, we're going we're gonna to join in a word of prayer. Um, and as we've been doing this year, uh, I'm going to invite the congregation to pray for our time as we, we look at the scriptures, um, as, we, as we turn our focus, um, not just from simply expressing our worship, um, but also to uh, receiving from the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us through his word. So, so I'll invite a couple of folks, one or two or three uh, people to pray uh, some short prayers of, over our time in the scriptures this morning as we begin. Listen, we're going to begin this morning uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're just going to uh, pick up Elijah's story where it starts, uh, Elisha's story where it starts. Um, so people often get these two names mixed up, Elijah and Elisha, because they sound so similar in uh, English. Um, they're actually quite distinctly different in Hebrew, but but the um, I'm not going to bore you with how it passed through Greek and Latin and how it got to English. Um, but Elijah is the older guy, Elisha is the younger guy, and in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, we read in verse 19, um, we're going to be picking up where uh, Elijah, if you've been with us for these, um, these several weeks, Elijah ran away from a threat of death, wound up on the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, and God speaks to him, and then he tells Elijah that his job is going to be to anoint three leaders. Um, Hazael to be the king of Aram or Syria. Yahu to be the king of Israel. And Elisha to be his successor as prophet. And verse 19, so he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. He was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him or served him. He became Elijah's servant. Um, real briefly, uh, just so you know, a, a Elisha, the younger man, is from a place called Abel Mahola, which means the meadow of dancing. What a sweet name, 
right? What a great name. Um, and Abel Mahola is a, it's a, a southern, it's a city. Um, well, why don't, we, why don't we bring up the map? Then I can kind of show you. All right. Uh, see that green section, Jezreel, up on the top? And then there's a little blue dot above the blue section. Down, 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 right to your right. There you go. That's Abel Mahola. Um, it's actually a, a very flat farmland by the Jordan River. It's, it's uh, the, what's called the Beth Shion Valley. Um, and it's part of the, what's today is the West Bank, or as we're told to tell it now, the Occupied Territory. Um, but uh, but the, it's, it's, a, it's a very fertile area even today. Right? It's, it's very well, um, it's very fertile, very flat. And so you can, if you think about 12 yoken of oxen, how big a field must be in order for you to have 12 yokes of oxen pulling plows, um, Elisha's family must have been pretty well off. Um, and, and the fact that he's, in the, he's leading the 12th of the oxen indicates that he's in charge of the team. He's the one kind of watching the lines, making sure his father would have probably been in the front um, or his older brother would have been the first one and he's in the 12th to make sure everybody stays in line and the lines are nice and straight so they can plow the field, probably to plant either barley or wheat. Which means this occurs, if you're really interested, this occurs about this time of the year, about February, uh, the end of February, March, that this event occurs, because that's when you plow the fields um, in that area of the world. Um, so Elijah, Elijah walks by him, throws his coat on him, and keeps walking. And Elisha goes, hey, what is going on here? Now he recognizes immediately what's happened that the prophet of God has decided that he's going to serve him. He runs up and he says, let me just say goodbye to my mom and dad, who are probably just like right over there. I mean, they're, they're not far away, probably. Um, and when Elijah says, yeah, I just go back. I don't want anything to do with you. It gives you kind of an indication of how easy it was to get along with Elijah. He was just such a very easygoing guy, right? Um, and Elijah instead slaughters the oxen that he was leading, the, the 12th yoke of oxen, um, he slaughters these, these oxen, he feeds everybody, and then he goes with Elijah. And then we don't hear about him again. So this would have occurred probably seven years before the death of Ahab. Uh, well, I'm sorry, about three or four years before the death of Ahab. So for a series of time, everything that's happened with Elijah, we don't hear anything about Elisha until we get to 2 Kings chapter 2. So I'd ask you to go there. Um, if you were here last week, um, Elijah had a confrontation with um, the king of Israel who was uh, seeking uh, wisdom from um, Baalzebub and he tells him that he's going to die. And now we pick up chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, uh, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. I should, I should mention, I'm just going to throw this out so that because um, I, I was taught kind of a Sunday school version of this image and I want you to understand what's happening. The word whirlwind here um it's it's the the hebrew word can can mean a lot of different things but one of the primary functions of this this wind we actually read it in isaiah 41 um the idea was you went to a threshing floor which was always up on a mountain and you would thresh the wheat um during the windy season and the reason that you would do that is you would break up the you know you break up the husks of the wheat then you would take it throw it up in the air and the husks would be carried off so the meat, the, the core, the, the core seed of the grain would drop back down because it was heavier. The wind that picks the husks up and throws it away is the word that's translated here, whirlwind. 
So the idea of this is not to glorify Elijah, and I think this is important that we understand, but rather that Elijah was the husk and Elisha is the kernel. Right? So Elijah was just the beginning of things, but Elisha is the, the prophet that's really going to change the world. All right? And, and that's, that's how this works. Now, when we talk about, in a few weeks, we talk about Elijah being prophesied as returning before the Messiah, that Elijah will come and prepare the way. That is, he is the husk that will be thrown aside so that the meat will be present, the real, the real seed, the real life, the real um, product will come. Well, that's the description of John the Baptist, that John the Baptist is Elijah. He's the temporary thing that goes before the substance. That's, that's where this idea of the whirlwind comes from. We get this image of the whirlwind, this big, huge, oh, wasn't Elijah amazing because he gets carried off to heaven? And it's really cool what we're about to read, but keep in mind that that's what's being talked about here, that Elijah is, is, is going to be carried off the scene so that Elisha can truly glor- bring glory to God in the kingdom, and he will do that. Elisha is by far the superior prophet in terms of his length of ministry. Elijah ministers for only seven years. He does only a, a couple of miracles. Some of them are pretty cool, raising somebody from the dead, making, making bread last for a couple years. But Elisha will do twice as many. Uh, he will do every miracle that Elijah does twice. He will raise two people from the dead. He will, um, he will make uh, food produce. He also will do many, many more things. And his ministry will last for 50 years. All right? So, so this is the comparison between these two. So now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to the mountain by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now I want you to see where Gilgal is. See this little blue walkie man down here? You can get that arrow, bring that arrow back up. See that? That's Gilgal. That's where they are at the beginning of this. You see that yellow line? <laughs> Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Going to go west to Bethel, that little blue star. All right, about 15 miles. I'm going to go to Bethel. So I'm going to leave the Jordan River, which is where Gilgal is. It's east of, the, of Jericho. It's where the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River. All right, I'm going to... I'm going to leave Gilgal and I'm going to go to Bethel, which means the house of God. Um, Elijah said to Elisha, verse 2, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Let's go back the other direction. All right? So now we're going to go back to Jericho. Um, but he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take you away, take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. That's twice. What number does Elijah use all the time? Three. All right. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. He's going right back to Gilgal. Right? He's going right back to the crossing. He's just made a big, huge loop trying to get rid of Elisha. Elisha said, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. He said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. You have any other... 
echoes of threes of people talking, especially to God, about and Jesus in sets of threes. This, this is really where this starts with this, this thing with Elijah and Elisha, this pattern of, of three times, three times. Because three times, ask once, and somebody says, yeah, okay, yes, I'll be with you. Ask twice, now they're starting to, they're demonstrating that they're um, at the very least obstinate. Three times, they're really committed. I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets, verse 7, also went and stood at some distance from him as they were both... Oh, wait, I skipped a place. Where did I go? Uh, I skipped down. Yeah, all right, I will not leave you. So the two of them went. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water. The water was parted to the other side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken away from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, tore them in two pieces. He took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan, and he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now, if you're really careful, you will see that there is kind of a parallel going on, a backwards parallel to Moses. All right, because Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land, and so he was able to observe the promised land from a mountain on the east side of the, of the Jordan River, uh, which just happens to be in the same area that they're headed to. So it's very possible that the illusion here is that Elijah is taken up into heaven from the same mountain that Moses watched the promised land from. Now, we can't prove that, but that's kind of the idea that's going on here. There's kind of a parallel going on. It's an interesting little tidbit for you to research and decide whether I'm right or wrong. Um, but look at Elisha and ask your, yourself this question. Isn't he annoying? Elijah's trying to get away from the guy and he will not leave him alone. And so often from our point of view, we look at that and we go, what, you know, what is he doing? He's like the, uh, I, 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 you, know, you, knew, you knew Wallace was going to get into this story. Um, so, so our little puppy Wallace, who's, who's, who's you know, just awesome, um, he has not grasped the concept that Blossom, our seven-year-old, does not always want him chewing on her tail. And so every time she see, he sees her, he runs up to her and he's all excited and she's all excited for about three seconds until he starts chewing on her tail. We don't know why he does it, but he constantly, and if he's not chewing on her tail, he's chewing on her ears. Not licking her ears like dogs showing affection, chewing on her ears. His favorite thing to do, by the way, is to go into the kennel where the cat sleeps, get on top of the cat so the cat can't move, and then chew on his ears. Um, he's just got a thing about ears. We don't know. What, so, but he is just this, he, he's this annoying little brother to Blossom. And Blossom has that teenage girl 
annoying little brother won't leave me alone look on her face all the time like please just get him away from me well isn't that kind of the way elisha is to elijah he he's not letting him go elisha keeps saying you stay here and elijah elisha keeps going no no no, i'm going to come with you and then the sons of the prophets come out and they say don't you know your master's going to be taken away from over you why don't you just stay here no i'm not going to stay here i'm going to go with him i'm going to stick with him Why is he sticking with him? Because Elijah's, Elisha's commitment to the God of Elijah is absolute. Elijah might have wavered a little in his ministry. All right? We know that he struggled with, with um, the death threats on him. Elisha never wavers. Elisha is absolute in his faith. Now, we, he must have had personal doubts. He must have had personal struggles. But in the narrative, we never see that. And Elijah's primary job was not just to be the prophet. Elijah's job was to prepare the better prophet, the next prophet. Now, he didn't know Elisha was going to be better than him. All Elijah, all Elijah knew was God told him to prepare Elisha, and he made Elisha's life difficult. You can't say goodbye to your mom and dad. Your calling is me throwing my jacket on you and being grousy at you. All right? You never get any credit. You're not going to be, but you're going to serve. And Elisha just continues to serve. Now, Elisha must have been a relatively young man at this point, probably in his teens. All right? And his job, his entire life, is to walk around with a grouchy old man who dresses in hair and leather belts. He comes from a wealthy family, we think. He's used to being a farmer. He used to have an oxen. He's probably used to having other people do things for him. And now he gets to walk around with grumpy McGrump. Who's constantly getting death threats. Flames having to call down fire to stop cat, people. And takes these ridiculously long walks for no reason. But Elijah never shakes. He believes without hesitation or reservation that the God of Elijah is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therefore the God of all the universe. And he is absolute in his commitment to him. And we will see how absolute his commitment is to God. It really is extraordinary. And Elisha is an outlier. He is, he is uh, what we would today probably consider a fanatic in his devotion. And, and I wanted to kind of think of how do, how do we apply this to our lives? Because what I don't want to say to you is be like Elisha. Right? You, you should never have doubts or fears or anything. Because again, I think Elisha had doubts and fears. It's just not recorded here because it doesn't serve the purpose of the narrative of the history. That, you know, it's, it's like you, it, we also don't know what color his, what little hair he had was. We do know that he was bald. Um, uh, but uh, we don't know what color hair he was. We don't know how tall he was. We don't know any, a lot of details about his life. We only see what's going on. So I thought about how do we, how do we look at this how can we look at Elisha and kind of make an application to our lives? And I want to I provide you with a little bit of an application for this. And it is this. This question. What is the difference between confidence, which Elisha clearly demonstrates, 
and arrogance. Because, see, if, if I'm looking at Elisha without knowing the rest of his story, he looks like kind of a pesky, arrogant little punk, doesn't he? Like, like if, aren't we always taught to obey our elders and, and our teachers and Elijah tells him to do things and Elisha absolutely refuses? And, and look at when Elisha, Elijah says to him in verse 9, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken away from you. Isn't it kind of a bold, arrogant thing to say, you know what I want? I want twice the power that you have. I want twice the spirit that you have. Doesn't that look a little bit arrogant from the outside? And here's the interesting thing. Arrogance and confidence look very much the same from the outside. They look very much the same from the outside. Um, so what, what's different about Elisha? What's different about Elisha? And, what is, and how do we tell the difference, both in our lives and the lives of others? What's the difference between confidence and and arrogance. And, and here's, I, I just want to give you a little bit of it. Um, here's the first thing. Elisha doesn't do what he does to prove how awesome he is. See, arrogant people do what they do to make sure everybody knows how great they are. That's, that's how arrogant people are. Um, when I watch, um, I, I, I love football, don't get me wrong. All right, but when you watch football, for the most part, let's be honest. Those guys do what they do so everybody can see what they can do. All right, that's that's what a professional athlete is like. All right, because that's that's who they are. It's it's part of their character. It's part of their attribute. I mean, think about the fact that football is a bunch of of middle class people watching millionaires play a game for billionaires. All right, and and we but we. We watch it, you know, but the reality is they're always proving themselves. They're always proving how good they are. And an arrogant person, they do what they do to prove that they are worth what they think they're worth. A confident person just does it. Just lives it. There's no, no proving debt required. Because, see, ultimately an arrogant person needs the acclamation of other people to reassure himself that he is who he thinks he is. Look at everybody looks at me, how awesome I am. Therefore, I am awesome. Because everybody says I'm awesome. That's arrogance. But with Elisha, it's just, I'm going to do it. And the reason I'm going to do this is because of the God that Elijah serves. Think about that question that he asks Elijah. When, when, or Elijah asks him, he says, ask me what I can do for you. And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Why does he ask that question? Now, I have a very interesting theory on why he asked that question. Because he knows Elijah is leaving the stage, he wants the same power that Elijah has to continue. He wants that influence and presence of God to continue, and he wants to add to what God is already doing in his own life. See, if he's just as good as Elijah, then nothing's changed. There's no real... That Elijah wasn't able to influence Ahab to actually change. Elisha says, in order for me to be able to be the prophet I need to be for the God that we serve, I need your influence and my influence. I need the Spirit of God that was on you, and I need the Spirit of God that's on me. I need twice as much to stand against the wickedness of this world. 
not for so that he can walk around and go, look, I'm twice the prophet that Elijah was, but rather that the power and influence of God is not in any way diminished, but rather is amplified through his ministry. He's confident in his God that his God can do what needs to be done. He has boldness, not from getting the approval of human beings, but rather than believing that God is going to do something extraordinary. Let me give you a a biblical example of that, an example outside of this story. In the book of Acts, we have this moment in the early church when Barnabas, um, who is an early believer, he sells a piece of land that he has, and he gives that money to the church. And the scriptures just describe it very simply. It says Barnabas sold his land, and he just gave the money to the church. That's all he did. Yay. And there's other guy, uh, Ananias, who sees that, and he goes and he sells a piece of land, but he keeps part of the money, but he walks up and acts like he's done the same thing as Barnabas. Look at me. I'm giving to the church too. Aren't I also the best? Look at me and admire me. And God strikes him dead. Bad plan. What was the difference between the two? They did the same thing. Right? They sold a piece of land and they gave them money. But Barnabas, we don't read anything about Barnabas coming, even Barnabas saying, uh, you know, hey, here's all of this money that I gave you and, and present it to you. Now, Simon Peter knows what's going on. He knows that Barnabas has given it. But it's, not, it's just done because he could. He just does because he believes that it brings glory to God. He does it because he needs to provide for, the, for those who are poor and needy in the church. He just does it. But Ananias, he's got to do it so that everybody can see him do it. Another biblical illustration, Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the publican praying in the temple. When the Pharisee comes up to pray, the Pharisee stands up and he goes, Dear God, you're so lucky to have me. I am not like this publican over here, this lousy sinner, but I'm special. Meanwhile, the publican prays and he's beating his chest and he's bowed over and he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus asks, which one went away justified? And his answer is the publican. Why? Because he prayed a better prayer? Because he was in more need for forgiveness than the Pharisee was? No. Because what he prayed was, he prayed believing that God could do what he was praying for. The Pharisee prayed believing God was blessed to have him. They look very different when we look at them from that context. The the Pharisee is arrogant. He walks in and says, God, you are blessed to have me. The publican walks in confident, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe, I'm praying this because I believe you will be merciful. I am confident that you will do it. Arrogance says, I am who I am because everybody sees me as what I am. Ahab, I'm the king of Israel because everybody sees that I'm the king of Israel. Except for when I'm going to battle with the Arameans, then I want to dress in a different costume so nobody can see me. Elijah will run away. He runs away in chapter 19. He runs away because he's under the threat of death. He runs to Mount Horeb. And I don't think he's, he's scared for his life, but he's also trying to get, he's, he's just out of control. Elisha will never run away. Elisha just walks through life like, you can't touch me. And if you do, well, I guess that's the end. 
He has an absolute confidence in what he's doing. Elisha is really an extraordinary person. What is the difference between confidence and arrogance? Arrogance ultimately boils down to a game that I play to prove to myself that I am worth what I think I am worth. Confidence comes from believing that God has said I am who He says I am, and that's enough. And there is an extraordinary difference between the two. As a pastor, one of my concerns is always in, 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 in the church in general, Big C, less the, the local church here, but one of my big concerns is always that so much of, the, of Christianity, the, we attempt to appeal to people to show how worth their attention Christ is. Now, I believe that we should declare Christ's worth. Don't get me wrong. That is the purpose of worship. That's what the word worship means. The worth, the weight of God being manifest in the people of God. But so often we try so hard to persuade people that Christianity is the thing that they want. But the Bible says that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. See, the thing is that the things that we want, the things that would make a good religion for us, like I talked about last week, are not the things that are true faith. Elijah, he preaches to an audience that doesn't want to hear from him. And he wavers at times. He disappears for whole sections of... He, he, I, I really want to know what the decision was behind the whole fur jacket and leather girdle thing. When he went, you know what? Life is miserable. I'm going to dress miserable. Or if he just liked it. I mean, some people just like uncomfortable things. I mean, I grew up in the 90s where people wore pants that were like, you know, dragged in the rain. I, I, hey, whatever. Fashion is fashion, right? Um, he, Elijah. Now I've got an image of Elijah walking a catwalk. And I was like, oh, the latest in hair jackets. Um, the, I have a warped head. Um, but the, the, the point is, when we get to Elisha, we get to a person who has nothing to prove, who doesn't live for the acclamation of the kings. He lives for the glory of God. Now, one of the curious things that's going to happen with Elisha is that to live for the glory of God, and, and i got to tell you this, it's going to happen, to live for the glory of God means betraying his king. Elisha will anoint the man who will murder the royal family. He will weep over it, but he will do it. He has to believe so absolutely. See, Elijah, Elijah just had to oppose Ahab. He just had to stand against wickedness. Elisha will actually change the world. He will be involved in not one, but two plots to kill sitting kings. Elisha will, will provoke war. 
So you better believe that Elisha had to have a deeply seated confidence in what God was doing. Now I got good news for you. We are not Old Testament prophets. So we don't have the job that Elisha had. But we still need to have the confidence he had in the God who's called us to our ministry. Let me let me just and and this is not I don't I don't want to to brag on our congregation, but let me just tell you this feeling I had as we were worshiping the songs and stuff this morning. I love the fact that our church does not try to prove how awesome we are. That when our people get up to lead in worship, none of us are trying to be the next big thing. I happen to love, and no offense to those that wear these, but I happen to love that we don't have worship leaders in skinny jeans. Now, Eric, you would not look good in skinny jeans. I'm just letting you know. But you would look better than I would in skinny jeans. <laughs> and and what, I don't mean the skinny jeans in general are sinful, but I, I mean if you, sometimes you get people, you see people, and they're trying to prove how great they are at the thing that they're doing. And I went through the phase of preaching and, and modeling my sermons after somebody else's sermon to prove that I was very good at being able to compose this thing until I realized nobody was paying attention because it wasn't who God had called me to be. And I love that our, our worship is imperfect. I, I love that when we, we gather, sometimes we, we correct ourselves and sometimes we take deep breaths and hope that our timing is right. I, I, I love that we, that we take the moment not to impress the people around us, although, of course, we, you know, the musicians, they want you to engage and they want you to sing, but it's not about you. It's about inviting you into worshiping the God that they're already worshiping together with. I get the privilege, I get the opportunity as the pastor because I'm here to hear the, the worship team prepare and get ready and stumble and struggle and pray and, and lift one another up and ask questions and say, you know, things like, things like well, it's good enough, <laughs> let's go with it. And I think that that culture of confidence and and, and comfort with our God is so important to making Bedford Road who it is. So I'm not just talking to the musicians, I'm talking to all of you. That, that you have this confidence. It, it, it just exudes from the comfort of our God guiding us in our ministries. And taking us into the uncomfortable positions. And the, and the awkward places. And moving our hands and our hearts. And, and as, a, as the pastor, it brings joy to my heart that we rest in our confidence of who Christ is and who God is rather than trying to make ourselves what would appeal to other people. And I would encourage you to have the confidence of Elijah, Elisha in your life. Find what God, and I say this all the time, it, it's almost become a cliché, but find what God has called you to do and do it, believing that He will accomplish what He has called you to.
to accomplish. Whether that's being a parent or being a kid or being a, a, a worship leader or a music director or, or, or you know, a preacher or, or leading devotions or Lord's Table or ministry at the, the rescue mission or ministry in the ladies' ministry, cleaning dishes, you know, whatever it is. Find what God has called you to do to accomplish and do it believing that he will accomplish what he has called you to do. That's Elisha's life in a nutshell. He's an extraordinary person. We're going to unpackage his life um, over the next couple of weeks. Um, he was one of my childhood heroes. I just thought it was so cool. The guy actually dies and raises somebody from the dead when the guy touches his bones, which I just think is cool. All right, That's just a weird story in the Bible. I love weird stuff. Um, but, but this is an extraordinary man uh, that God prepared for ministry and gave him confidence. Join me in word of prayer. Father, thank you that you don't leave us in a muddle. But rather we know clearly from Scripture some things we are called to do to be. We learn others from principles and applications, but Lord, you have spoken to your church and you speak through your Spirit guiding us into the, the individual efforts that are, that are a part of your mission of the Gospel. You give us vision and clarity through uh, your spirit and your people and your word. Lord, help us to rest in our confidence in you. Lord, to strive to not impress those around us, but to be impressed by your calling and your work. Lord, all that we are is yours. All the glory is yours. All the praise is yours. All of the stewardship we receive from you and we give back to you. Lord, you alone are worthy of our lives of praise. We pray and thank you for what you do. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, by the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.